Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, an irregular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, technology, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter, a weekly email that covers the most important shifts in marketing technology. And the people who read it work in the world's largest tech, media, advertising, consulting companies. You can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Okay. Today, I'm joined by Anita Brierton and Cheryl Schultz, the founders of Cabinet M, a marketing technology management platform that companies use to manage and report on their technology and their technology strategies. And they also are the founders of Library M. It's a fantastic resource with the latest research, events, and content, and thought leadership in marketing technology. Now, Cabinet M is based in the United States. Uh, but their customer base and their partners uh, are scattered all around the world. They service more than 800 companies with their platform technology from the world's largest enterprise brands right down to uh, small four people startups. So today we talk about how marketers are managing technology. What are the shifts and the changes over the past years in which how marketers really adopt technology to solve their problems? We talk about how enterprise businesses are different from smaller companies and how they purchase and and utilize their technology and how tech is more broadly adopted across the industry. And so I give you Anita and Cheryl. Hello both, how are you? Good, we're so glad to be here. Yeah, it's terrific to to be here. (laughs) And we promise we're gonna try and not talk on top of each other. Uh, Yes. Yes, we are. But we also want to say we bumped into your newsletter probably a couple of months ago, which is how this dialogue started. And we're both huge fans now. And we sort of carry you through our social channels because what you're what you're speaking about is so relevant and important to the kinds of users that we speak to as well. Oh, that's fantastic. And thank you. And it's great to have you on the list. And, and like you mentioned, uh, we've, we've been having a quite interesting dialogue over the past couple of months about what we're calling this podcast about is the enterprise problem. What is going on with enterprise technology and why is it such a challenge to adopt and use and actually get value out of technology um, that's used by some of the world's largest brands? And so I would love to start with your story. And um, I did a bunch of research around how Cabinet M started. I thought it was quite interesting. It was sort of a tale of somebody working in a brand side and then somebody working in consulting and in VC. And then there was a convergence point where you found that there was a problem around how uh, companies are managing their technology solutions for marketing. And so Cheryl, I'd love to throw to you first. Uh, Please give us a snapshot of the story of Cabinet M and, and how you guys came to this company. Yeah, so I'll start a little bit before where you started, which is Anita and I um, sort of grew up in the same industry and we circled around one another and finally got together somewhere around 2007 when we joined an angel investment firm. And we are not very good participants. We like to run things. So we ended up running the angel investment firm, which gave us an opportunity to really see how the two of us worked. And it turned out that we work very well together and we see things in multidimensional ways. We're very different. And that's ended up being one of our greatest strengths in building this company. So to pick up where you started, at the end of our two-year tenure at the angel investment firm, Anita was recruited into a portfolio company she was sitting on the board of by the venture capitalist that she sat with. And it was a tween girl clothing company. And she had a three-person digital marketing team. And every single day she watched them look for new tools in order to test and try to acquire new users and retain the users that they had and um, keep them engaged. And at the same time that Anita was doing that, um, I had to entertain myself because we always thought that we would start something together. And so I was spending my time investing in, advising, and sitting on the board of marketing technology companies. 
And so I was observing some interesting dynamics, which was how difficult it was getting for those companies to find their ideal customers, right? So much content out there, difficult to get through the noise. So when Anita finished her assignment in the company she was working in, the two of us sat down and we started ideating about things. And we, we looked at some ideas that were totally outside of our core expertise, we're career marketers, and, you know, really started thinking about the problem at hand. Right. We knew that marketing was becoming a technical role. We knew that it would sit in line to revenue and that increasingly organizations would be using more and more technology. But the genesis originally of Cabinet M is that we built a marketplace. We built a platform where marketing technology companies could meet the brands that were looking for them in a warm contextual place. But because we are two marketers, we spent a lot of time validating the idea. So we were building the database naively. We thought that there were probably 1,000 to 1,500 products out there. You know, fast forward to today, and there are 15,000 products in our database. And so as we spoke to marketers, what we learned is that there was already a lot of technology inside of these organizations and the problem they had was managing it. And so the core of Cabinet M really came from all of those discussions. And so we started building out the infrastructure around the database, sort of using that database as the building blocks for what we call our stack building configurators. Wow, that's quite a story. And I, I think it's just fantastic in how you identified that problem. And uh, Cheryl, you, you really picked up on that. I think the problem is that marketing now is not a, it's not just a creative endeavor. It's, it's, a, it's a discipline within a business that is heavily reliant on technology more than ever. We'll yes. get into that a little bit later. And so it'd be great to unpack that because what's your view there that given that you've been in the industry for a while, you've seen quite a few changes in the industry, but just as a snapshot, how, how have you seen marketing increasingly having to rely on technology to get their job done, but also to grow their business? Yeah, Nita, you want to jump in there? Yeah, I will. I think the role of marketing has changed dramatically over the last 10 years. Now we see in my early days of marketing, I was responsible for the top of the funnel. And that was about it. Once I handed it off to sales, you know, I really didn't have to engage again unless I was doing a user conference. But most of my work, 80% of my work was at the top of the funnel. Today, marketing really has ownership of the entire customer lifecycle, cradle to grave. And <laughs> they're being tasked with driving revenue. Mm. You know, that's something new since my early days. They're responsible for keeping the cost of customer acquisition as low as it possibly can. Mm -hmm. And by doing those two things, then they're extending um, the value of the customer lifetime value. So they've got a much bigger mandate and mission. Mm -hmm. And much of what they do is engaging through digital channels. And I think it's probably fair to say that technology provides the infrastructure for every single marketing activity. I can't think of anything that marketing does that doesn't have underlying technology today. Yeah, me either. Almost everything has is, is empowered by technology in some degree. And you could almost argue that, and I was talking to David Rob a few weeks ago on the, on the podcast, and he said, look, the technology's changed, but the, the problems really haven't. <laughs> it's the same problem. Yeah, that's and, right. in some, and in some instances, the technology sort of exponentially exacerbates those problems. But what I find so interesting about Cabinet M is that it is kind of this three-sided marketplace, and it's helping marketers and people in, in companies navigate this incredibly complex world of marketing technology. But it's, it's done in three ways. And so you have 
the vendors, the technology companies helping them solve discoverability within your platform. At the top, you have partners who kind of sit in the middle between the, the vendors and the, the marketers and companies. And then you have the marketers who are trying to manage and make sure they keep track of and also build in strategy to the technology they're adopting as well. And so Cabinet M sort of sits in the middle and facilitates all of those different relationships. And, and I was reading a stat that now Cabinet M has more than 15,000 products, which is pretty staggering. It's far more than some of the mar marketing technology super graphics out there, where it's about 8,000, 9,000, 15,000 products, companies, startups that are in your platform of all different shapes and sizes. And so do you think that the way in which technology is bought and sold over the years has changed now that there's so many technology solutions, even just five years ago, I think it was less than a thousand major technology companies servicing the marketing sector. And so how have you seen this rapid amount of um, new companies being started and new solutions? How have you seen that dynamic change uh, between how, yeah, uh, the, these actual tech solutions are bought and sold? Yeah. Okay. Lots to unpack there. So let's start with the number of tools. So we have 15,000 in our database. And thanks to my friend Franz in um, the Netherlands, we have another 2,500 queued up to be added to the database. Wow. All MarTech companies. But you can think of the MarTech industry as an iceberg. And when we were all saying, oh, there's only a thousand products, that actually wasn't true. And a lot of okay. the work that we've done over the last um, five years is surfacing products that already existed. So I think there was, if you think about a bell curve, well, it's not even a bell curve, really. Let's, there was a period of time when there was a huge amount of investment and development in MarTech and lots of emerging um, products. And now I think we're in steady state. I think we're seeing maybe 200 to 300, maybe even 500 new products a year being launched in MarTech. And that's really in response to changing channels and needing to provide products to take advantage of those channels, changing customer behavior, increased sophistication of marketing. So, you know, I, I, I don't even think we've got the whole landscape yet, to be perfectly honest. I mean, we have barely dipped into the products that have been created for niche markets. One of my favorite products that I we discovered over the last two weeks is a marketing automation platform just for car dealerships. And yeah. we know there's a whole segment of marketing technology for churches and yeah. nonprofits. So we haven't even, even yeah. begun to dig into to that. We, we've just skimmed the surface on that. So I think the landscape is really huge. And with regard to vendors, one of the things, and this is just an aside, in the hope that there are some vendors listening, one of the things that fascinates me is it's really hard to be found these days when you are operating in a landscape that large. Yep. And, and when you look at some of these categories, you know, we're about to start restructuring our CRM category. I think we have 300 CRM platforms within our database. So wow. if you're a CRM vendor, getting noticed is really difficult. And so it fascinates me how so many vendors do a terrible job of explaining what they do and why they're great and that they don't take advantage of showcasing their capabilities on platforms like Cabinet M. I mean, we showcase for them, but we invite them to come in and really build out their presence. But there are other sites too, not just Cabinet M, that people rely on for product information. And all of us collectively struggle to get vendors to, to really own their presence on those sites. So yeah. my plea to vendors are, this should be your job one. Go where people are looking for technology mm. and make sure you do a good job of describing who you are, what you do, where you fit, and why you're special. So, and then, so that's on the vendor side. And then in terms of like, when you look at the dynamics of how technology is being bought, I think one of the things that has been most interesting uh, for us to see is the complexity of these marketing technology stacks. We all draw these nice visuals and, and see in our head this stack layer upon layer upon layer of technology and it looks nice and neat and it looks like building blocks but really the marketing tech stack more closely resembles a jigsaw puzzle so all these pieces are integrated together it may not be the whole stack but it could be 50 percent or 60 percent yeah. 
And they're integrated together. And it is not just purchase technology. It is also technology that's developed in-house. And we see as much as 50% of the stack being um, represented by in-house development. So as these companies look for new products, they have to keep in mind as a requirement how this new product is gonna fit into that jigsaw puzzle. And if it doesn't, then they're in for just a horrible time. And I've talked to somebody who had bought, who came into a company, took out their CRM platform, replaced it, then found that that platform didn't work with their marketing automation system, and then spent 12 weeks and $50,000 with a third party creating an integration between those two platforms. So what we see on cabinet is people carefully map the integration points of the products in their stack before they embark on new technology acquisition, because you waste a lot of time looking at products um, that just aren't usable because it won't fit into your environment. And that, and I think that's the, that's a, a very interesting point in that a lot of the time, even the vendors themselves wouldn't know how to integrate those things together or how their platform would fit in with the other many, many different solutions that are in a marketing technology stack. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, Anita, well, like there's the discoverability piece around the technology vendors that are trying to build their brand and competing, like you mentioned, 300 CRMs. Really, does the world need 300 CRMs? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're all very specific to different niches, like you mentioned, like the churches and in car dealerships and whatnot. But there's a discoverability aspect to that for them. But also there's the the other side, which is, yeah, the marketers are, are figuring out how to fit all the jigsaw piece puzzles in, in to make this amazing picture, which would um, lead to growth for their business. And it just fascinates me how even for, yeah, a lot of these technology businesses have have to really, really struggle to build their brand and their presence. And I would say for most companies, if you're not in the top three category set, so think of like, if I said something like, oh, email marketing software, what are the top three companies you think of? For me personally, it's like MailChimp, probably Salesforce Marketing Cloud and maybe Klaviyo or something, right? But if you're not in yeah. the top three category set, then you might as well be shouting in the desert. It's, uh, yeah. you know, there's, yeah, yeah. there's a real brand aspect to um, how technology is being adopted. And and really, yeah. a lot of that brand is sort of formed out of legacy. You know, MailChimp's has been around forever and it's a friendly chimp. But I want to dig into a few stats here. And and, and I think um, I think both of you have some really great some research into how many technology pieces are in that puzzle. So Airtable this year released an interesting report. They said on average marketers are using about 20 plus technology tools just in the daily workflows and their day to day. And I, I believe it was almost one third of their week was on average was used just managing these tools and managing the data that flows between them. And so what's also interesting is that Cabinet M also add about 10 to 30 more tools with every new person who subscribes. And so 15,000 tools, more than that now, getting close to 20,000 tools, 10 to 30 more added every every new subscription on average. And then in the, in the actual companies, there's about 20 plus tools used on the daily. And so what are the makeup of these tools? What have you seen over, particularly over COVID and in the past year, what are the, where are they clustering? What, what kind of tools are being adopted more these days, which are, are being adopted less? And what does that look like? Yeah, so in general, what we're seeing is, first of all, a much larger number of tools being used by these organizations. So I was happy you shared that Airtable report so I could take a look at it. And they looked at a large data set with most, you know, most companies sort of clustering in the middle, somewhere around 1,000 to 5,000 people. And for just managing content and managing the workflow of getting projects done, maybe it's 20 to 30 different tools. But on average, what we're seeing in large enterprise organizations is anywhere from 50 to 250 different tools being used and managed. And it's very interesting because you just called out the point which 30% of the time is really spent sort of diving into how data is flowing, how organizations are looking at their integrations. The reality is that most of them recreate that every single time someone asks the question. 
Okay. When we, um, when we spend time talking to, you know, customers, what they say is that they spend two to three hours on average every week creating documents, diagrams using lucid charts or Visio or just plain PowerPoint doing that. And what we try and do is truncate that inside a cabinet and write, document it, and then be able to extract that. But to get back to your other question, I know Anita's going to jump in here as well. Of course, we see lots of collaboration tools, right? The world no longer looks like it did. You can't walk around the other side of a cube or up the hall to an office and ask a question, right? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. And so when people talk, think about collaboration, they think about Zoom or, you know, GoTo or join me from logging in. And, but there are broader sets of requirements for collaborating right? You need to be able to view work. You need to be able to share work. And so we've seen huge numbers of, of those types of platforms showing up in stacks. Any you want to jump in there? Yeah. So Cheryl's right. So I think if you think about the impact of COVID, there's been an uptake in all sorts of collaboration and productivity tools and video conferencing and communication tools. It makes me smile because I think three or four years ago, one of the biggest stresses we had in um, engaging with prospective customers was which video conference platform were we gonna be required to use and mm. how well you know, would it work and, and could yeah. we figure it out? Mm. And now it's like, I feel like it's, they're all an extension of my keyboard. So COVID definitely, has, as we can just see, has really increased the usage of that. And also events companies have had to go virtual, but not only that, I mean, there are some industries that really depended on live events. We have a financial services prospect who was doing 200 events a quarter and overnight they had to shift all of those to virtual. So yeah. we've seen a lot of, of that, but beyond the stuff that that came about because of COVID. If you look at a technology stack, what you see are, we call them anchor platforms. And those are the foundational elements of the stack. And that typically um, involves a CRM, a marketing automation platform, a digital asset management platform, an analytics platform, increasingly a CDP. Yeah. Since Cabinet M started, the CDP world has gone from an idea to implementation. If it's an e-commerce company, sometimes that e-commerce platform will show up in the marketing stack. But you have these kind of anchor platforms to which everything else connects and they connect to each other that forms the foundation of your data architecture and your data flow. And that's really, we see that across every stack from startup to large enterprise. You know, in a startup environment, one platform may be ticking a couple of boxes. The CRM and the marketing automation piece may be done with HubSpot, for example. Mm. But those are the foundational platforms. And then once you get start to get further and further out from those core capabilities, the stacks start to look very different, which is why we keep getting these new requests for additional products. Stacks are very much like snowflakes. The long tail is very, very long. Yeah. So I want to, I want to talk about that. So um, <clears throat> we engaged with the PR council at the beginning of the year, and they're a large association for public relations firms. And they decided what they wanted to do was the first technology stack report by looking across stacks in their membership. And so they engaged 50 of their member organizations, ranging from agencies with a million dollars in revenue to agencies with hundreds of million dollars in revenue. And what's interesting is that across that data set, right, they're PR firms. You think they probably use the same tools, they're doing the same type of work, but across those stacks, there were over 500 tools in that data set. And every single stack 
look significantly different. Some of them had 13 to 15 tools, which, you know, was interesting, but the largest stack in that set had 80 tools. It's just fascinating to me how, yeah, it's, it's, there's just a, it's just so much complexity out there. And there's just so much that needs to be done around managing the software. And and I think Anita, you mentioned that a lot of the effort goes into just mapping how all these integrations work. Like how do things map against a, an Acre platform like HubSpot or um, Salesforce CRM or something? And so it's it's just a fascinating trend in, in how technology is um, shifting and how it's so important now to have um, a methodology for managing it. I've been caught out by subscriptions before in the past, and I'm sure... Uh, you have as well. And it's not fun. No, no that would be true. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's fascinating. And thank you for, for your viewpoints. And I want to drill into the, the enterprise problem and unpacking what it actually looks for enterprise businesses to, to actually adopt and use technology. And I think that's the crux of where a lot of this complexity lies. It just seems like every second company I talk to, they happen to have some particular software it might not cost a lot. It might cost $100,000 to $150,000 a year. Sitting on the shelf, they've purchased it, they signed a contract, and they haven't used it. And and I just seen that it just seems that there's, that comes up quite a lot where enterprise businesses tend to acquire technology for some purpose, but then doesn't end up fulfilling that purpose. Or they're sold um, an idea or a dream of, hey, we could do this, like create a single customer view would be a very, very good example of it. And that doesn't actually pan out for whatever reason. And to me, that's, that talks to redundancy, perhaps a lack of planning and strategy, but also to your point before about the jigsaw puzzle. Sometimes you adopt the technology, get into the detail, and it's actually not usable for whatever reason. It doesn't integrate or the data just cannot flow or it just didn't solve the use cases that you originally planned for it. And so as you work with enterprise customers, what are some of the challenges that are peculiar to them? Well, I have a whole list, I have to say. <laughs> and, and to your point, I mean, Gartner has reported that marketers say that they're only using 58% of their MarTech stacks potential. That's actually a frightening number because if you think about, you know, 11% of revenue typically goes into the marketing budget. And of that, a quarter of that goes into technology. We're talking really big numbers for many of these organizations. So yeah, I mean, imagine you buying stuff for yourself at home and you're like paying tons of money and not using it. So the first thing that is a problem is that um, the wonderful world of SaaS, and we of course are a SaaS platform, has, has given marketing teams the ability to quickly swipe a credit card and buy technology. And so we've had people across organizations running amok buying technology. We have siloed groups in organizations, sales buying technology, marketing buying technology, different marketing teams not conversing on technology. So some of the real challenges are costs are skyrocketing. Nobody knows why. Nobody can talk about the performance of the stack as a whole or the return on investment they're getting for the technology. Mm. People are buying products and not investing in training to your point about products that are being underutilized or not utilized at all. People that have swiped credit cards forget that they did that. So they, you know, the charges go on and on and on. And all of these things have a top line and a bottom line impact, right? If your stack isn't performing, you're not driving revenue the way you should. If you've got a bloated tech stack, your cost of acquisition is not good. Then you layer on top of that with new data privacy regulations and concerns about security and things have been acquired that nobody knows about. Then you've got risk and exposure all over the place. So it's a big mess. And another data point from Gartner is that only 18% of brands have mastered their MarTech stack. So it's not me just pulling that out of the air. It comes from the Gartner stats and the conversations we have with our customers. I mean, the bottom line is if you don't know where you are in technology, then you, you can't optimize, rationalize, or move forward. So we see people come to us with those concerns that they just don't know where they are. They can't report on return on investment. And once they start digging into the platforms that they're using, it is not uncommon for companies to find that they've got five email platforms hmm. or wow. have signed five contracts with the Incredible. same marketing automation vendor. I mean, these are real data 
points that we hear these stories all the time. Or another favorite story is the first time they find out that they have a single source of skill for a major platform they've spent a million dollars on is the day that person resigns. Yes. So it's just, (laughs) it's it's a nightmare. Yes. It's a nightmare. I mean, I think in an earlier question, you mentioned partners. I mean, there's this whole burgeoning opportunity for agencies and consultancies to really get in and help companies, you know, unravel all of this. And we work with a lot of those companies. We provide the enabling infrastructure for them to do that for clients. It's, and, you know, we're at this place of, if not now, when, because the world is not getting less digital. Marketing is not getting less complex. Mm. The channel number is not decreasing. So this is job is only going to get harder and harder and harder. So you have to get your hands around all of this. I would say that the, yeah, the, the enterprise problem is, and it'd be good to get your view on this, that a lot of the problem relies on operations, marketing operations and skills. So buying a, for example, buying a CDP. Now, does that mean you need to hire a CDP manager to do that? Maybe, maybe it's somewhere in data analytics, maybe, or a marketer, probably not. And I think the challenge here is there's a real skills gap in marketing technology. I think globally in this space, because the technology and one of my colleagues um, actually mentioned this, he wrote for an article here in Australia, he mentioned that the technology is advancing so quickly that the, the talent industry can't keep up with the education, the training that's needed. Some of the, some of the clients I, I work with in the past, they would have teams of 50 to hundred people on trailblazer Salesforce certifications. And they're investing huge money into just understanding and, and, uh, and getting that knowledge into the business around how to use the technology. And it would be good to get, get your view on that as well, because that seems to be a gap. It's, there's an operational gap, which is actually fueled by a lack of really great talent to manage the technology and have that expert expertise around it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I totally agree. And let's, let's go back to CDP because I think one of the things that I love about CDP is if you look at a definition, and I think it's David's, David Robb's definition of what a CDP is. One of the defining characteristics for a CDP is that it, it is something that should be easy for a marketer to use. And when you think about what a CDP does, there's a, so much complexity around there. So there's a difference between having a marketer-friendly user interface and then really understanding what you're doing with the information that's in the CDP and how it connects to everything else in your organization. And yeah, just as an aside on that, I think one of the biggest challenges CDP companies have is when they, when they put a proposal in place for a, a new brand, they make an assumption about how many products they will have to integrate the CDP with and quote their professional services accordingly based on what they've been told, right? And then they get into the environment and they find that the number of products is actually exponentially greater than they thought. And Mm -hmm. and it's a real headache, but I think skills are a real issue. and, And I think it's good news, bad news. So I think we do at the moment have a lack of of skills, particularly in understanding data and data architecture and analytics. But at the same time, one of the things that I see is that vendors are doing a very good job and are thoughtfully thinking about how users engage with their platform. So there is a lot of knowledge you can take from vendor one platform to vendor two platform because you know, they've, they've really thought through the user interface and it's like, oh yeah, this is kind of similar to what I do over here. So yeah. there is an opportunity for skills to develop organically, but we do need training and we, it does, and then skills need to be managed in an organization. So that's another thing that we do on the platform is we give companies the ability on Cabinet M to kind of track the skill sets of their team and look at where they're exposed and where they have gaps. But this has to be solved. Otherwise, you are going to have those instances of products being bought and then not used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is it's, if you think of the Agile Manifesto, for example, many years ago that came out and that was a uh, methodology to ship software and to do software development. 
And now you have marketers who are adopting agile practices. And I scratch my head and I kind of think, well, why is that? Well, it's because marketers are using technology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, agile, you know, it's been around for a long time, but it is a proven methodology for working with software. And I think that's part of this picture is that marketers need to be skilled up. There are new new uh, roles that need to be uh, pulled into place, like a CIO. That's a fairly new role, chief intelligence officer. But there's all these different governance roles around technology now that are emerging, but they're also new. And that's what's so, so exciting as well, is as marketing and technology collide, there's all these opportunities for new roles and new ways to be trained up but then also ways of working as well. Yeah, no, one of the things that we've seen over the course of the last couple of years is the product management role mm. for marketing technology inside these large organizations. Yeah. So it's not just about somebody going out and buying it. It's about really understanding where it fits inside the organization. Mm. And, and that's fantastic. And, and you would say the product manager there, that their customer would be the marketers or the people within the business to be able to develop yeah. the technology to that's a point where it can be adopted and used at scale. And yeah, I just, it's just fascinating to me. Uh, there is a sort of corollary to this in the sense that as more marketers live in this technology world, some of the magic of marketing is also, it also comes off as, as well. <laughs> you know, there's some fantastic research I was looking at the start of this year where particularly around advertising is that when they, they surveyed a number of different audiences around ads that are going out, things from like billboards to television commercials, all the way through digital ads. One thing that came out was that a lot of the creativity is gone. There's a lot of blandness now. You see that with logo design, like a lot of the brands use the same type of serif fonts and there's just real blandness of like communications. Sometimes I'll come across a website and it just blows my mind with how creative it is. But a lot of the time, the, the outputs from the marketing and the creative teams are quite bland. And I think that also has a, a separate impact as well in the sense of that, that inventiveness, that creativity, that ability to actually see something that nobody else is seeing can be kind of hindered sometimes by having such a focus on tech, but it's unstoppable. And I agree yeah. that, you know, marketers do need to be using tech and it's, that's something that's just unavoidable now. But let me jump in here, Juan, because this is, this is an issue that is near and dear to my heart. One of the things that I, I am concerned about is when we bring young marketers into the marketing environment, the first thing we do is put them on tools and we show them yep. how to do something. We don't spend the time to talk to them about why we're doing something. Mm. And it worries me. There's all of this talk about, is the next CMO going to come out of the MarTech world? We still need marketing strategy. We still need creativity. And we still need to create that emotional connection between the brand and the customer. And I worry that that, that will get lost. And we're seeing evidence of that in in kind of this dulling of all of these things. And then, and then you've got the other piece of this, which is the scary AI. Um, <laughs> when you think about some of the advances of artificial intelligence and in marketing, that you can now, there, there are companies leveraging AI to tell you exactly which of these five pictures of cats is going to sell more cat food. So, you know, AI is finding its way into the creative world as well. So it's very interesting to see where this will go. But I hope we do not lose the strategy and creativity piece of all of this. I, I would hate to think that marketing just becomes a machine that we turn on every morning. Yeah, um, and, that's, and that's exactly yeah. right. It's, it's fascinating to me that a company would invest um, so much resources into training on technology but then may lack some of those other fundamental skills you mentioned, like creativity, marketing strategy, like consumer research, positioning, yep. all these other fantastic disciplines within a business. I think the best brands out there have a really good handle on this and they, they see technology as an enabler, yeah. not the end thing that a marketer should be learning and doing, but it's a fantastic point of view. Yeah. And so we've talked about larger businesses and enterprise companies. Now, I want to talk about the small businesses, the startups, you know, the side hustles, the companies that are breaking out. And what I just find is that there's this huge difference between how enterprise businesses adopt technology, obviously, and smaller businesses as well. And 
the difference is, is that it's not so much the technology, the technology and the capabilities of between uh, those two different types of businesses is very similar. You know, marketing automation is quite similar. The like even things like CDPs can be quite similar. A lot of the event software is very similar. But the way in which smaller companies are able to sort of take and consume this technology, take it up, use it with agility, and actually create value quite quickly is very different to an enterprise business. And it might be because there's less people, there might be less complexity. But what are some of those trends that you've noticed between larger and smaller businesses? Yeah, so first of all, I think the investments that smaller businesses are making are, are smaller. Right. So they can invest, you know, $10,000 to get started with a marketing automation platform that a large brand has spent a million on. And so what does that mean? It means that at the end of the year, if this isn't doing what you need it to do, you can ditch it and get something else. Not so easy in a large enterprise. All of the bureaucracies that exist in and around marketing really impact how things are introduced into the tech stack, right? You've got the security department, you have to go through InfoSec reviews, you have to bring multiple teams on board. So there's a big difference in ability to be agile between small startups and large enterprises. One of the things that I do think is amazing, and we've benefited from this ourselves, is that there are so many interesting marketing tools that you can acquire for nothing or next to nothing. And companies and HubSpot's a great example offers an amazing startup discount to get you hooked. And they're very good at getting you addicted to their platform. So (laughs) it's a great strategy. And, um, And so I think I saw a report somewhere recently that said freemium is a good thing and it's here to stay. So I think startups have the ability to get to customers in a way they didn't used to because of all this technology and the fact is slow cost are free. So I think that is really great. But then you'll go back to the big side. I think the complexity around some of this marketing operations for big brands is really extreme. You think about things, I've been back and forth with Michael McCune of Gartner, who is really dug deep into how, how teams are building their stack and, and what the, the environment looks like. And he's, he said there's you know, four key pillars that you have to layer on top of your stack. If, and that's, first of all, you, know, you, you want to introduce pre, um, predictive analytics into your stack that help you identify the right audiences or the ones that are most likely to be successful. So that's a whole layer of technology on top of technology. You want to deliver everything in a personalized way. And that goes far beyond just doing, you know, you know, insert name here. It's understanding somebody's behavior through behavioral analytics and serving up the right content for what they're doing at that particular moment. And it needs to be adaptive. So anything that you're doing needs to adapt to the environment and the person. And then on top of that, it all needs to be as automated as possible in order to reach scale. So I think we see enterprises really going all in on this level of complexity, which the outcomes I think are going to be fabulous. And you know, when startups and small companies are just getting started, they don't need to do that. They don't need to get down to that, right? They need their first hundred customers. They don't need to micro segment <laughs> those customers. And they don't, they can personalize by just tracking each potential prospect. They don't need a big automation system, but that doesn't work at scale. So I think yeah. these large enterprises, they've got lots of legacy technology. They've got lots of homegrown technology that they may or may not know how it works, but they know it's gluing two pieces of other technology together that they have to deal with. So I think the pace of acquiring technology is much slower in large enterprises and the turnover of technology is much slower. Mm, yeah. And I think the the enterprise problem really is centered around legacy technology or technical debt, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of, um, of different technologies over time actually creates a lot more complexity and what's what i find quite interesting about the difference between say technology startups and and enterprise businesses is that there's a real shift in mindset as well so for example a small startup they might find a problem 
or even like an Amazon in the earlier days, right? Like when they were developing their e-commerce infrastructure, like smaller businesses tend to be more agile and they can figure out where there are problems in their business. They can productize for themselves and eventually productize for somebody else as well. So an Amazon is a really good example of this, where they were building their e-commerce architecture and they're building their core databases and they're building it for scale. And then out of that spun AWS, and AWS yep. is one of the biggest, one of the most profitable businesses in Amazon portfolio now. And I look at that and I think, well, okay, they saw their problem, they solved it, and then they productized it to sell <laughs> using exactly. technology. And it's it's this technology mindset first of rapid innovation, iterating on things, and then shipping things to market that are solving for their own problem, but also problems in the marketplace. But then you have enterprise businesses that say, well, we have this enterprise legacy IBM system, for example, or something that's like really old school and it's really hard to get data out of it. But so we've had to build all these solutions and these APIs and these different gateways to get data out of it and, and manage it. That could be an opportunity for them. Like a lot of businesses still these days have to get their invoices and their or their billing sent to them by mail. And so they offshore that to different companies to actually manage all of that, that print material. When a company like Amazon would come along and say, oh, that's a that's a product company we could build on top of. That's an innovation that we can <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. So what, what's your view on that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, well, first of all, let's talk about AWS. I mean, that has been a huge enabler of all of the marketing technology innovation, right? Because it makes it possible for startups to exist because they don't need tens of millions of dollars to get started because they can build on the cloud infrastructure. So just as, as an aside on AWS, but, oh, I forgot. What, what were we talking about? Say that again at the end of that. I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, it was um, more about, it's more about how a lot of smaller startup companies that are a bit more innovative, they will take the problems in with their technology problems within their business and then apply them to the marketplace. Whereas a lot of enterprise businesses tend that's right. to think of innovation quite narrowly, like we're solving a problem for a customer instead of, oh, let's productize the stuff we're building. We're trying to solve for ourselves as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of that has to do with the structure of the large enterprise organizations, right? They're just not structured to, to have that creative out-of-box thinking around, around that. We actually, it's interesting, we talked to somebody that we shared um, office space in a building with and the big travel company, and they 95% of their tech stack is homegrown technology. They use very little acquired technology. Yeah, wow. And they do that because they believe that their marketing tech stack is the key differentiator for the company. But to your point, this would be an ideal company to think about if we built something that we could bring to the market and have an additional source of revenue. And they certainly are not looking that way. And then the going back to your, your talking about legacy infrastructure, we see all sorts of, of crazy stuff. We know of one, one company that positions themselves as technology experts, cutting edge, this, that, and the other. They have a CMS system that is 22 years old and it's connected wow. into I think it's connected into their HR database so the problem that they have Goodness. is that many women including Cheryl and I use one name professionally and one name personally mm. so if I were an employee my checks would come to one name that isn't the name I use professionally well because of this the system their system can't handle that so People can't use their professional name. They have to use, and this is a company that relies on their, in, their members being public facing. So it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's incredible, isn't it? And in this and that, day and age. And it's the legacy debt, the technical debt that, um, oh, yeah. that, that really, I think, hinders a lot of enterprise businesses. And then when you think about the, going back to the start of this conversation about the jigsaw puzzle, when some of the pieces are just got weird, very weird old shapes, it's very hard to fit something new into those, into those shapes, fortunately. Yeah. And so, yeah. and so I think that that's, that's probably maybe the core of this problem. And I would like to talk a little bit about sort of a side to this problem, which is this emergence of cloud technology 
So you've, I'm sure you've heard of the Salesforce Marketing Cloud, Adobe, EpiServer is building Mm -hmm. their own cloud. Now they're called Optimizely, of course, but Oracle, they have Marketing Cloud and then Twilio with the recent segment acquisition last year. There's this emergence of, hey, we're building a cloud or an ecosystem for marketers where you don't actually need to go outside of that ecosystem. Everything is here for you. Marketing automation, optimization of personalization, your data analytics, all of those aspects, even events, even project management. I saw Adobe purchase, they acquired uh, Workfront not too long ago. And and I saw some of their demos and it was so interesting. And they say, oh, it's all integrated with what we're doing, what what, um, the marketer might be doing in Adobe. And I look at all of that and I'm, and I'm saying, well, they're building these sort of self-sustaining ecosystems, one sh- one-stop shop for everything. Are you seeing in the marketing technology adoption that that's that is actually the case? Are the brands that are most more sophisticated going to that cloud solution and living within that ecosystem, or are they buying more of those point solutions or those specific tech for specific things? And what have you seen with those brands a little bit more mature and how they're using tech? Yeah, so so we're actually seeing the dynamic that you identified in a couple of different flavors. The first is, and it's smart on their parts, there are these large vendors, they own their customer base, right? They're an anchor platform there and putting more and more capability into their product. So over time, we'll probably pay dividends. So that's one set of those customers. The other side are the companies that are actually going out and they're, they're working on building integrations, validating that they work, right? Because what we see is that organizations are not adopting from one company only. We see a lot of Adobe adoption inside of the stacks built on the platform. And even though some of those users might use 12, 15 different Adobe products, and we do see that, They're also using, to the point earlier, 35, 100 plus other products. And then the challenge becomes doing the integration work, but that's okay because basically what they're doing is they're looking for best of breed because they have to optimize on their stack in order to meet. Yeah. I mean, there's this one-stop shop ideas is a fairy tale. I mean, (laughs) One of the one of the things that, that we laugh about all the time is a lot of times in our introductory conversations with prospective customers, they'll say, "Oh, we're an Adobe shop, or we're a Salesforce shop." Yeah. And then we put up a slide with all the marketing categories, and Cheryl will say, "Well, what do you use here?" And it's like, "Oh, yeah, not Adobe." Well, what do you use here? Oh, yeah, that's another product. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think these I think these clouds are fantastic. I do. And I think they're going to be great anchors in our industry. And, but, but the reality is, even if somebody is an Adobe shop, they're going to use a ton of products around that. And Cheryl mentioned, you know, companies that are working on integrations, that's the biggest give to the industry that anybody could do. Make it easy for products to connect to one another. Yeah. And and just to add to that, the, I would, I would say that there are a few really key incentives within this emergence of the marketing cloud. So one of them, which is very clear, is that if you hook more companies into an ecosystem, it's harder to leave. So retention, loyalty to that particular tech software actually is, is a big big part in that and there's also you know the idea of um sunk cost fallacy as well oh yeah so we bought this you know we got involved with this marketing cloud it's seven different um, pieces of technology into one we we spend two hundred thousand dollars a year on it and we've been doing that for two to three years there's sunk cost fallacy there because it's like oh we'll just keep going with this instead of breaking it apart when we need to and i think companies are just changing all the time they need to change all the time to keep ahead of the competition and sometimes that would mean breaking the cloud up and sometimes it means actually adopting it. It just depends on where they're at as a business and, and what their solutions would look like. But yeah, it's, it's a bit of a fairy tale, I would say. I would say that you can't do everything in it. And I think that's a bit of a fallacy to say you can do everything in it. But it does, it does surprise me how much messaging goes out from these tech vendors that talk about the integrations within, but not the integrations without. And that's what I love about companies like Segment and Telium, where they're actually yeah. API first businesses. So they're like, okay, we understand that you have 
more than 100 to 150 different technology solutions in your business. Our, our solution is not to bring that into one cloud. Our solution is to help you integrate those things at scale and, and do it in a way that's manageable. And so I, I just find that fascinating. Some, some positioning is do it all inside. And then some are saying, hey, we just understand that you're going to have all this different tech and we'll help you integrate it together. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing um, that I'd like to, to caution the listeners is that when you're looking at these vendors that are talking about having an ecosystem and you're considering those vendors, you need to look and see if that is a real ecosystem or a marketing ecosystem. Yeah. Because we have talked to vendors that have built on their website, a beautiful ecosystem. And then you ask them, well, what are these products do? And they're like, oh, well, we don't know. They just want it to be a part of our ecosystem. It's good for marketing. Mm, yeah. A real ecosystem product is a product that, you know, gives you the one plus one equals three outcome where something seamlessly connects and delivers added value. So it's always mm. good to question that when you're mm. talking to some of these ecosystem building vendors. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting space to watch. It's emerging, it's growing at the moment. Yeah, it's a very good one to watch and to see how it changes um, behavior. In terms of just the last question here, and I'm very curious just to get uh, Anita, your view on this one, in that in your last quarterly report, and Cabinet M does a bunch of research every quarter on the trend, trends around marketing technology. And what was quite interesting to me was that a staggering $3 billion was invested just in that last quarter on technology products. And I would like to get just a snapshot of what, where that money is actually going. Where do you see a lot of the VC funding, the equity funding going um, into some of these companies? And, and what do those categories look like? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, that kind of investment is good news for all of us in the MarTech industry. <laughs> it's going to keep us in a job for a very long time, making yep. sense of all of this stuff. But yeah, so I think going into 2021, you know, the vast portion of this investment is going into data-related technologies, whether it's analytics or um, data storage or data management, you know, CDP environment. So we see a lot of investment going there. We also see, obviously, investments in the virtual event space. As we move forward right. into the year, I think we're going to see more investments in tools that help um, people work together in this new work environment, right? So as we kind of come out of COVID, people aren't necessarily ready to go back to the before times. People are, are looking at innovating how they're structured and how people work together. And I know from the VCs that we talk to, they've all been very interested in this remote collaboration space. So I think we'll see a lot in that. Recently, we haven't seen a focus on AI, but I think we're starting to find real practical applications for AI and marketing. So we're going to see a bunch of, of technology in that space. And then the other thing is new channels and new technologies emerge all the time. For example, I, I think it was just this week's newsletter, you talked about Roblox, which yes. I had never heard before, yeah. um, <laughs> never heard of, which is yeah. a gaming platform that allows people to create and monetize their own worlds within that platform. And I, in, in your newsletter, you mentioned, okay, well, now advertisers and brands are eyeing this for potential monetization. So this, be, you know, this becomes a whole new area, right? So it's these big emerging channels, it's changes in human behavior, fragmentation of demographics, all of this just can yeah. to spur innovation in mm. MarTech, which is exciting. Yeah, it, it, there's, I think there's these real interesting trigger points in the industry. So one that's happening right now is like obviously third-party cookies and the demise of those and then also app tracking transparency. Yep. It's a trigger point because then there's all these other new companies. It, it sort of, it instigates an innovation and creates all these new businesses that solve on the new problems introduced by previous technology. So it builds on top of each other, on top of each other. Roblox is a good example where that's completely out of sort of a lot of the domain of a lot of what marketers do, but it's in the gaming world. But they just renamed their business from a, being a game company to an experience business. So what does that tell you? Uh, it's it's yeah. just fascinating to me that this that $3 billion in one quarter invested is quite a big number, but that's just going to continue because I think the innovations are yeah. just going to continue to build on each other. Um, 
until I think even with AI, like it's so nascent still. But then as more applications- it very much so there's going to be another cottage industry that would support that as well. And so I think it's fascinating what Cabinet M are doing, collating, collecting all of these different businesses around the world and really small niches to the big marketing tech clouds. You know, I think it's just fascinating the work that you're doing to make sense of this space and to help those three, three, three groups, the marketers and the, in the companies, the partners who are supporting the industry and the vendors as well who are selling into it. And so uh, I would like to get from uh, both of you and where we can find you on the internet. Cheryl, over okay. to you. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at, at Cheryl Schultz, and I'm actually S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. And you can find Cabinet M at, at Cabinet M1, and you can find us all over LinkedIn. So all of our channels, so both Anita and I regularly are there, but also Cabinet and Library M are both posting regularly, and the sites are very active. Mm, yeah and my twitter handle is a Burton. so yeah we're visible we like making new friends mm. <laughs> cheryl and anita thank you for your time thank you for illuminating us and the audience on what is happening in this marketing technology space and how enterprise businesses are, are using tech but also the small startups as well and so thank you for uh, joining the making sense of martech podcast well, thanks for having us. This was fun. Yeah, we really appreciated the opportunity to chat. Right. Thank you.